Welcome to the Expats in Dubai show, your home for deeper news behind the scenes and real life stories. Hello, it's Amber Heed and welcome to the Expats in Dubai show. Welcome to another episode in the Great Ford Fightback series and welcome to our new listeners. On Mondays, we focus on the financial advisory industry and share my story of investing with a rogue financial advisor here in Dubai. The series is based on the book of the same title, The Great Ford Fightback. And on Thursdays, our podcast talks about wider community topics. So we pick up the story after episode 18, when the police call me back to the station after they finished questioning Neil Grant, the rogue financial advisor in my story. To recap, I needed the police to help me get hard evidence linking Grant to fraud. First, I had to get them to review all of the information Nathan and I had collected and agree that Prosperity Management Consultancy and subsequently Grant's employer had operated outside the boundaries of their license. And secondly, and much harder, was to ask the police to request a statement from the DED, the Department of Economic Development, evidencing Grant and Prosperity Management Consultancy were operating illegally under their business license. That's the hard proof I needed to open a case against Grant. And I was up against a clock. Grant was getting ready to leave Dubai for his annual family vacation the following week. So I'm outside Officer Salah's office at 7.30am the very next morning. After the police had taken my statement, Grant had been called to the police station and his entire statement had been taken. He came back with his own story, a well-rehearsed response to the questions put to him, which was that I had lost my money and I was now afraid of the consequences of my gamble. The moral of his story was that investments can go up or down. If you want to put money in an investment scheme, you need to understand you can lose it. If you don't want to lose it, put it in a bank. And he had explained all this to me along with the risks. What part of the value of your investments may go up or down did she not understand, he had asked the police officer. Although untrue, it will always remain his irresistible script. That is, the kind advisor gently explaining to the pushy investor not to get too greedy. He followed that up with there was no contract between us. He was very cooperative, said the officer, flicking aimlessly through Grant's file. He didn't need to spell it out. Everything Grant said to him has sounded ultra reasonable and everything I'd said to him has sounded ultra unhinged. After lulling the feedback, he went on to say Grant had told him that he had never embarked on any kind of illegal activity and that he had cooperated with any lawful authority. And the police officer agreed, saying he had a clean record, implying that he had him checked out. And with that, the officer shrugged his shoulders and said, he has no case to answer and there's no contract. And with that, he shut the file and there didn't seem to be any further police interest. Now, this was going to make my task a lot harder. Generally, there isn't actual proof for this kind of crime, which is why the fraudsters get away so easily and why lawyers advise you not to waste your time and money. The lack of a contract is the biggest problem. The contract angle is how rogues rely on the technicalities of the law to avoid charges. I was sure every question the officer threw at Grant, he tossed aside as he kept trying to downplay the whole thing. And it was why Grant found it easy to fend off their questions, even without the need for a lawyer. He had gone to the station without a lawyer, without any form of legal representation. That's how confident he was. I went through all the evidence with the officer that Nathan had obtained from the DED website and he put on his reading glasses and he read it all. 
but he wouldn't budge. The well-intentioned police officer was placed in an impossible position. Due to the complexity of the case, he couldn't tell what case Grant had to meet. In fact, he continued to be adamant that Grant had done no wrongdoing and I was simply someone who had lost a lot of money and was trying to blame someone, which sounded a lot like Grant had fed him that line. DED can provide the evidence, I explained to him, and that the statement from DED would prove that as per the law in Dubai, Grant, under Prosperity Management Consultancy, did not have a license to operate as a financial advisor, nor was he permitted to have anything to do with money. That, I said to the officer, includes dealing with money of any kind or advising on money matters and investments. No was the response. My question to the police officer was, why can't we just request a statement? And his reply was fascinating. Why do we need to? He was clear. He was not going to ask the DED for anything. If the DED wished to file a case against Grant, they had to come down to the station. The police don't ask people to open cases, he told me. We take statements when they file a case. He paused for this to sink in. I saw his point. He had a point. But without that statement, I had nothing. I had no evidence to build a case of fraud. I couldn't get around the no contract issue because no court of law would even consider it. I could steer the conversation away from the lack of a contract and onto the license itself, a crucial shift. The DED would force them to think about the license, not the lack of contract. With all the other bits of information that had been gathered, I could support a case of fraud, but without the DED support, I had nothing. No, the officer was still unwilling to concede, and I refused to move. I'd come this far. There had to be some justice administered. I made one last effort. I then simplified it. Sir, he set up a fake company to make lots of commission from people, and now I need your help. I understand, said the officer. Clearly he didn't. So I tried another way. My money was obtained by false pretenses. That's clear. It's a clear case of entrapment. He nodded his head at me blankly. There are many other victims, I say to him, hundreds even more, who don't even know they're victims of this scam yet. Can you imagine that, I asked him. He had a great comeback here. Did they also give him money without checking his details first, he asked me. Yes, we have circled back to my stupidity for giving Grant so much money in the first place. The officer then said, very quietly, but not unkindly, There is nothing wrong with someone earning a commission. And I agreed with him. You are right, I say to him. But when you set it against his motives, it's a different picture. My overriding specification was that my capital remained safe. Grant agreed. I opted for stable, long-term investments. He picked high-risk, unregulated, illiquid funds and some identical funds. That is the practice of mis-selling investment packages. Combine that with the fake company he set up and misuse of his other business license, this then becomes a con, a fraud. He's not helping me. He's helping himself to my money and putting up smoke and mirrors when I ask questions about my investments and charges. Now, the officer opens the file again and he put his reading glasses on while asking, and do you have any evidence, any slips to show he was paid commission? He killed the argument. No. I had no evidence of what he was paid or by who. I explained I didn't have any because he was paid directly from the financial institutions and I went on to explain how. He listened to me politely as he slowly closed my file again and he leaned back in his chair 
as he shared something else Grant had told him that was going to hurt my argument. Grant told him I had approved every investment and that he has proof of this. Yes, I did, I told the officer. And I could see that he was actually a bit taken aback by this admission, but that is missing the point. And I explained I had made my decisions based on his recommendations as the expert in this field in investing, just as we pay a lawyer based on his opinion. The officer gazed at me while he considered this information before he shook his head as though he didn't know what to do with me. And that prompted me to again say that a statement from the DED will make everything clear. I was determined to keep his thoughts on the license issue. You really should have checked all of this first, not now, said the officer, pointing at all the paperwork in front of him that I had laid out on his desk. There is no contract between you. You gave him the money yourself. You approved all the investments. I cannot just ask the DED for a statement. There are procedures here. As he spoke, the file was open again, his glasses back on. Admittedly, at this moment in time, Grant had more evidence that he was innocent than I had he was guilty. Then a thought just crossed the officer's mind. Tell me one thing, he asked me, and he looked me straight in the eye and said, would you have come if you were making money? And he looked at me as if he already knew the answer. No, I replied truthfully, I wouldn't. But I would have changed my financial advisor. That I was sure of. I had rented a car recently only to be told that the company was scammers. They did not carry out frequent maintenance checks on the cars and some people hadn't received their deposit back. Even though I had not yet suffered at their hands, I took the car back the very next day as I drove to Abu Dhabi frequently and I didn't want to be stuck on the highway with a faulty car. And I shared this story with the police officer who simply nodded his head. His face then cleared like, okay, enough of this. Okay, he's told me, I helped you. I called him to me. I asked questions myself, just as you asked. Halas, there is no there is no case. And with that, he took off his glasses, he shut the file again, signaling the end of everything. His patience has now run out. And he was polite, courteous, and to the point, never raised his voice, and to still have the willingness to have a conversation with me. He's a good guy. And he explained I simply cannot arrest someone based on nothing. In that case, I should arrest you for being stupid. I didn't know why it was so funny because it was quite sad really, but it must have been because we both fell about laughing. But known for their entertaining tongues and their indomitable belief in free speech against pathetic victims of crime such as myself, the police officer was not mincing his words. It was so easy to switch from misery to hilarity with them. I gave him a few seconds to swell with pride at his own comic genius, but he was right. An objective observer witnessing this dialogue without knowing the background would probably agree. There were red flags, many of them. We make mistakes, of course, we all do. But perhaps in this case, the real mistake was ultimately trusting someone too much. I should have been far more responsible and aware. Either way, I promised the officer to keep my head down and not to do anything stupid for a bit. He softened a little. He was still clearly annoyed at me for the situation I had put myself in and he told me that I had to be smarter than this. And I couldn't think of anything to say by response other than he was a friend. And he nodded his head and said, I hear you. For his part, he's very understanding. And I was certainly not the first person to make a misjudgment over a friendship. Do you know how many crimes are between friends? He asked me. He referenced a statistic published in the local newspaper, which claimed 72% of fraud cases that landed on police station's desk are between long-term friendships. That was truly mind-blowing. 
Anyway, I sighed heavily. This was it. This was as far as it goes. Without the DED statement, my case was holed before the waterline. I'd have to admit defeat and accept I'd taken it as far as I could. And what was meant to be was meant to be. I had already written off the money. And in the whole scheme of things, yes, it was a lot of money, but not the end of the world. I was just after a little bit of something. Answers. It was frightening to me the level of deceit Grant had gone to and I couldn't blame anyone else. It was my call. I got it terribly wrong. He was going to get away scot-free and keep doing it. That I couldn't live with. Money comes and goes, but that was different. I was getting to the point where I was tired of seeing experts in Dubai leaving their moral compass back home. And I got up for my chair and I thanked the officer because he did at least call Grant down for questioning for me. I was just stepping away from his desk when he suddenly turned to me and surprised me by telling me I was to go to the director. Tell him we are not taking your case, he told me. Give him the information. And with that, he collected all the paperwork that I had spread out on his desk and handed them back to me. The director was the head of police, the ultimate decision maker. It seems an opportunity too good to miss. The officer had thrown me a lifeline and I sprinted out of his room on my last legs before he changed his mind. Now, the formal high offices of the police was located on the other side of the police building at the end of a very long corridor and a very, very long walk. At the end of it was a large reception area, and this is where the head of police sits. And I think it was lunchtime because no one was there. And so I found myself walking directly into the director's office, which was behind the reception. And he was alone, sitting relaxed at his desk, reading the newspaper. He was immaculate in his uniform that, judging by the medals and his cap, was very high-ranking, indicating years of experience as part of the police's top team. I drifted into his office like a ghost, creeping up on him without any warning. I didn't know what to call him, so I just said, Salaam sir, and explained that I had been asked to see him about my case. And he greeted me, and he asked me to take a seat while he picked up his phone to speak to the previous officer. I couldn't understand what he was saying to the officer because they were speaking way too fast in Arabic, but I'm sure it was along the lines of, who is this sad and pathetic looking person you have sent to me? After a minute or so, he put the receiver down and turned to me to tell me that my file was coming before turning back to his newspaper. If he had any problems with my presence in his room or my just turning up, he didn't show it. In fact, he has a serene aura about him and despite the unusual, uncertain circumstances I was in, I felt comfortable. After 10 minutes of complete silence on our own, which neither of us felt any obligation to break, the first officer who had taken my statement on the first day came into the room carrying my file. He greeted the director with a high level of ostentatious respect and sat in a chair opposite from me. Now the director put down his newspaper and he read my file. It was a bit surreal, I have to say. I was getting a private audience with the head of police. I knew the stages and time it takes for a file to reach him and that I had bypassed stage two and I had somehow managed to book a face-to-face meeting with the most powerful police officer in the station and he was reading my file in front of me. A stroke of pure luck. Now and then he asked the officer a question and he would either answer or pull out the relevant documentation from the file. Then they conferred. He retrieved the Code of Conduct paper with the Prosperity Offshore Investment Consultant's letterhead that I had signed. This is a contract, he asked me, and before I could reply, he had reverted back to the officer who seemed to agree with him and was nodding along. The Code of Conduct paper was clearly now rather significant. Was he accepting it as a contract between Grant and myself? 
The lack of a contract was the biggest problem. If he was happy to use that as a contract, then so be it. He explained to me that although prosperity offshore investment consultants did not exist, if the letterhead seeks to mislead in relation to the nature of the business and that misrepresentation induces me to include a contract with them, then I can claim against them for misrepresentation. But the letterhead in itself usually does not get you anywhere. It was Grant's overall conduct which sought to defraud or misrepresent me that mattered for successful conviction and recovery in a claim. They then continued to go through the file. There was definitely an air of waiting to be spoken to. There was no discussion. There was not going to be a discussion. It was going to be a yes or no, and that was it. This was not a time to start playing hardball with the police management. I'd never survive it. After about 10 minutes... The director was ready to give me his decision and I sensed a tiny opening and he said, we will send a request to DED. If he can manage money, there is no case. The file is closed. And he peered at me wanting agreement to what he had said. And I instantly agreed. To say I was mildly excited by this news was the understatement of the year. It was the sort of breakthrough moment that most of us can only dream about. He nodded his head at me as I accepted his deal and drew the first and only very small smile for him before he went back to his newspaper. He was brief, devastatingly sharp. I already knew what the DED statement was going to say thanks to Nathan. I was elated. In less than one hour, my mood had gone from abject despair into one of bounteous joy. Me and my case was now transferred to the private secretary of the head of police. I asked him, how was he going to go about getting a statement from the DED? He said he needs to first find out who to send the request to. And he said to give him some time. And he told me that they would be taking prompt action as per the director's instruction. But what was their definition of prompt? The problem was, I knew that at the end of the week, Grant was going on his annual one-month family vacation. I did not have time to wait. If he got wind of this, he may not even return to Dubai. So far, only Nathan and I knew what was happening, but Grant was aware I had a meeting with the insurance authority, and it was fairly clear that he knew I suspected something as he had been called down to the police station. So he knew we were closing in, albeit confident that we had no evidence to make something stick against him. So I said to the private secretary, I'll go down to the DED and I'll find out exactly who deals with requests from the police regarding company licenses and I'll get their details for you. And I explained to him why I was on a timeline. And the officer agreed. He said, okay, you can try. Sometimes you just have to do things yourself. That's what I've learned from living in Dubai. The criminal court requires proof beyond a reasonable doubt, whereas the civil court requires a preponderance of the evidence. I'm sure it's a bit like O.J. Simpson being acquitted in a criminal court, but found responsible later in civil. That's why the DED statement was so significant. Grant would need a damn good lawyer to overturn that piece of evidence issued from a government body in either court. And I was willing to go an extra step to secure that evidence. So I head off to the DED's offices situated in the heart of Dubai. And I found my way to the customer services on level one in the open plan call center just off the main corridor. The city's bright yellow happiness center smiling logo was everywhere, brightening up the entire area. I waited for my number to be called and I was directed to, ironically, an unsmiling, unhappy and ice cold Hanif sitting on counter four. 
After listening to my request, he fussed around his desk, found a small piece of paper he was looking for and gave me a generic email address from it on a teeny tiny post-it note. No, that won't do, I told him. I needed a name. He didn't know and he was clearly irritated that it was not one of his questions and answers on the script that he was clearly reading from. Finally, after an embarrassing long silence, he told me to go to the ninth floor and with that, he moved on and called the next number to the counter. I took the elevator to the ninth floor only to be sent back down minutes later to the first floor. With government bodies, you'll find you get through to someone and you have to tell the whole story again and then they pass you on and you feel you're going round in circles. After speaking to four different people, I finally had the name of the person who could help me. The licensing office is on the first floor headed up by a local Emirati lady. I gave her a precise summary of my case and explained that the police needed a statement from the DED and could I please ask them to send the request to her to speed it up for them. She was very sympathetic about my case. Yes, no problem was her answer. She gave me her direct email address and mobile number so the police could coordinate with her directly on WhatsApp in case the email was missed from either side. I mean... That's like music to my ears. Finally, you do get through to someone, the right person. I went back to the police station with all the details and handed the gold over to the officer who then got to work compiling the request. The whole thing took two hours of my day. Otherwise, it could have taken weeks. Sometimes you just need to do things yourself and help the process along. The lady from the DED replied to the police officer the very next day, officially confirming marvelously that the DED provided a license for Prosperity Management Consultancy to trade as management consultancies under their license number. Grant and Prosperity Management Consultancy did not hold the appropriate legal license to offer financial advice or advice on money or be an advisory company. A simple summary, he's not supposed to do what he's doing. The reality is that he didn't meet the government's criteria to be an advisory company. And one who has lost £60,000 could argue he wasn't issued a license to protect the public. The findings were submitted into evidence. This statement now turned the whole case around and supported our claim that Grant had fraudulently acted as a financial advisor under Prosperity Management Consultancy with clear intent to deceive and for personal gain. He had put one activity and was very clearly doing another. This was the starting point. Roll on a few days. The head of police signed the necessary paperwork to open a case against Grant and then the station's admin team sent me a text message to confirm they had opened an investigation into Neil Ramsey Pringle Grant along with the case number. Grant's passport was immediately blocked in the immigration system as he had the motive and opportunity to flee before his investigation and then they called him to come down to the prosecution office in the police station and asked him to bring his original passport. Imagine getting that phone call as you're packing your speedos ready for your summer vacation. I mean, I think it is safe to presume that Grant had no clue that this case was gathering momentum or he would have left the country for sure. As soon as he arrived at the police station, he was sequestered. He was in an interview room for most of the day and questioned at the prosecution's discretion for that time period. Again, he chose to be unaccompanied and not be represented by a lawyer. He was either oblivious to what was engulfing him or in denial, or my best guess was overly confident. 
It doesn't surprise me from someone who simply knows how to avoid charges and probably thought he could talk his way out of it again using the no contract angle. However, this time round, he did not know the evidence that had been gathered against him and of the DED statement taking a prime seat in his police file. Maybe if he had a lawyer, he would have known of that piece of evidence at this stage. After the interrogation, a determination was made that the state could open their own investigation and the file was then passed to the Dubai Public Prosecution Unit on suspicion of fraud by false representation. The crime carried both criminal and civil penalties. It was a massive step forward. I was tremendously pleased that our efforts seemed about to bear fruit. Public prosecution is the only authority in Dubai to initiate the criminal cases and it is part of the judicial body as it undertakes the authority of investigation and imposing charges as well as referring the accused person to the competent court if involvement in the crime was proven. Public prosecution also supervises the stages of the case in the criminal courts. Therefore, at this point, I didn't need a lawyer as the state was in effect representing me. The seed of the idea that had started during that phone call talking to Nathan had taken four weeks to take root, but now everything was in place for battle. Sometimes fighting is futile, but it wasn't fighting about money. It was about principle, which is a more powerful drive. And the fight was to make sure Grant was off the advisory streets. That was the goal. And none of it had been planned. When I explained to people that I kind of just fell into a court case, I received the most baffling looks, but it was true. This was so totally not my original plan. Initiating a court case, I'm told, is like getting a tattoo on your face. You really need to be certain it's what you want before you commit. You don't just fall into it. But that is what happens when you head into the unknown and discover things along the way. You just power through and follow the dots. Now that the case reached prosecution, Grant reaches out to settle on his terms only. But again, he refuses to engage a lawyer, a gamble that went terribly wrong for him and would later cost him everything. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Great Fraud Fight Back. Next week, as we enter the legal framework of the story, my first lawyer on the show is Dubai's best settler, the formidable Eleanor Stralgen. Listener.